0: Good morning. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Wabashie Bible. Glad you're here today. My name is Josh, and one of the pastors here. And we're in a series called "For the Life of the World," and we're looking at the question. We're trying to answer the question: What is our salvation actually for? Why were you saved? What's the purpose? Not just uh, that you would be saved from God's wrath, but what about the interim? What about your time here on this earth? What is your salvation actually for? And we've looked at it from the perspective of being people who are exiles. Uh, we've, been, we've been exiled. We, we live in a strange land. We're strange people in a strange land. Uh, Peter calls us exiles. Paul tells us that we're not citizens of, of this place, but that we're citizens of heaven. And so as a result, we're to live as exiles in this world. Just like the Israelites, when they were exiled because of their sin into Babylon, were given instructions by God of how to live, to seek the welfare of the place where they were going, to build houses, to live in them, to plant gardens and eat from them, to marry off their sons and daughters, to multiply in number, not to decrease, but to become a greater people. Those are the same instructions, I believe, that God gives us as we live our lives In exile, on this earth, waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us. Well, last week we looked at at how God's plan for us in exile starts with the family. But today we're going to go to the place where you spend uh, maybe over half of your life, probably well over half your life, your work, your vocation, what you do. Have you ever wondered that question? you ever asked that of yourself? What is the purpose of my work? Why do I do this job? What's the point? Does God really have a plan for this as it relates to you and your job? Do you think he does? Uh, We're gonna talk about that. Do you think he really even cares about it? Does it matter to him what you do or how you do it? We're gonna talk about all those things this morning and we're gonna see uh, that in fact God does care and that he does have a design and he does have a plan and we can find it in his word. So let me pray. And then we're going to turn to the very beginning. We're going to look in the book of Genesis chapter 1 this morning. But first, let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, Lord, as we pray often, as I pray often, thank you for your grace to us through him. Lord, we don't deserve uh, your love or your favor, but we thank you that because of Jesus, you offer it to us in and through him. Lord, we're exploring this question, uh, answering or asking and trying to answer from your word. What is our salvation for, why have you put us here? why do we why, what, do, what do you have for us in this time as we wait uh, for Jesus you to return? Uh, help us to answer that this morning. Help me to do well teaching Lord today from your word. I pray you would teach us, you'd teach me even as I open your word, I pray too uh, against the enemy who would, uh, who would love to discourage us in our work, who uh, clearly uh, does thwart our work, I believe at times. Uh, but instead, encourage us, help us uh, to see that you have great purpose in in our nine to five. And uh, Lord, you love us, and so guide us today. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. The purpose of your work, you know, on December twenty ninth, nineteen seventy two, Eastern Airlines Flight four hundred one crashed into the into the Florida Everglades. This was a little before my time. Maybe some of you remember this. Uh, But it killed over 100 passengers. It was the first ever crash of a wide-bodied aircraft. And it was one of the worst airline crashes still to this day in U.S. history, as over 100 people died. The investigators were later shocked to discover, after their investigation, that in all ways, in every way, the plane itself was functioning rightly. Well, it wasn't a mechanical error. It, had, it was in perfect working condition. So what went wrong? Well, the Lockheed Jet had been preparing to land when First Officer Albert Stockstill noticed the landing gear indicator, a tiny green light that signals the nose gear, nose gear is locked down, uh, was, hadn't lit up. Yet the nose gear was locked down, and the problem was the indicator light, not the, not the nose gear function. It was locked down, but what happened was the officers were so hyper-focused on this gear indicator not lighting up that they failed to notice that the autopilot had been deactivated until it was too late. And by the time they noticed, they overshot their landing and crashed, and them along with 100 others died. I think that illustrates a little bit sometimes what we do in life in terms of our purpose and even our work that we get so focused on this one little piece that uh, we miss the big picture. And when we miss the big picture, uh, it can be devastating, not only for us, but for a lot of other people. And I think as Christians, when we miss the big picture of what our work is for and what your vocation is for, it it affects a lot of people, both you, your family, and even those in this world who don't know Jesus, it affects them when we miss the big picture of what our vocation and what our work is for. So this morning, we're going to look at that. Vocation, by the way, I put a little definition on your insert vocation when I'm talking about this I'm talking about your non-leisure non-church life what you do if somebody came up to you this week and uh, they introduced you this morning maybe they're new there's been a lot of new people in our church uh, they introduce you and they say hi I'm so-and-so and and you you know you say yeah I'm so-and-so and they ask well what what do you do what would you answer Chances are you would answer with whatever your vocation is. It's what you do. In fact, the word vocation comes from an old French word, vocare, and it means to call. So your vocation then is your calling. It's it's what you do with your life. It's a, a couple definitions just right out of the dictionary. A particular occupation, business, or profession, a calling or, uh, I really like this second one a function or station in life to which one is called by God. I wonder for you, what do you do? What's your vocation? Maybe you're a nurse. Are you a nurse? Are you a teacher? Are you a factory worker? Maybe you're an office assistant, uh, an entrepreneur. Maybe, uh, like my brother, you're a designer. Maybe uh, you're a musician, an engineer a salesman, a farmer, an administrator. Uh, maybe you're a student or a programmer or a carpenter. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. It's a vocation. Uh, my wife Hannah, that's her primary vocation is a stay-at-home mom with Charlie and she's there with him this morning too. He's home sick and he's got a fever and uh, it's all kinds of fun. Maybe you're retired You know, that's just an opportunity. (laughs) I heard some cheering. All right, Carol. Hey, that's just an opportunity for you to work in new and different ways. It's not an opportunity to quit and be lazy, right? It's an opportunity to do work in new and different ways. Maybe you're unemployed. And so you hear this and you go, "Um, man, this is going to be really discouraging today. Well, maybe your job right now is working to find work. That's your vocation. And that's a good and noble and God honoring thing. And and for those of you who uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, but uh, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on to the thought of what do you do with someone who uh, maybe they're unable to work? They're just physically unable or mentally unable. How does this apply to them? We'll talk about that in a moment. I'll come to that um, rather than uh, then go on a rabbit trail right now. We'll we'll do it later. Sound good? But the question really in front of us then, in terms of what you do, what does the Bible say about your work, about your vocation? We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 primarily, maybe a little bit at chapter 3 this morning. But here's, here's my big argument, okay? Your, your work matters to God. No matter what it is you do, it absolutely matters to God and it's important to him. What you actually do is important to him. Not just how you do it, but even what you do is in and of itself a good thing and it matters to God. Work matters to God and work is good and it's glorifying to God in and of itself. In fact, I want you to see this today, that your work is an opportunity to image and to glorify Jesus. That's ultimately, in a theological way, that's the purpose of your work, of your vocation. It's an opportunity for you to image and to glorify Jesus. I wonder if, um, if a high school student or a recent graduate came to you and they said, I want to glorify God as greatly as I possibly can with my life. What should I do with my life? What would you tell them? What would your answer be? You know, would you, uh, would you tell them, oh, well, you should be a pastor then. Or you should be a missionary. Or you should at least work in ministry. Would you tell them that? I'm you, I wouldn't tell him that. Do you know why? Because I think oftentimes we've bought into the lie that somehow the only way that my work matters to God is if I'm doing, uh, forgive me for a better way to say it, but churchy things with my job. If I'm a pastor, if I'm a missionary, if I uh, work in the church office, if I whatever that is, or I work for a missions organization, that that's the only way that somehow my work matters to God is if it's "quote unquote" Christian in nature or some type of vocational ministry. You want to know the truth, Clean, Every vocation is a ministry. Every vocation is a calling. And God's called all of you to ministry, not just me. I just, I'm one of the weird ones that, that this is my paid position. And uh, your calling is just as important and just as honoring to God. You know, I, 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 I look at that and I think, I wonder, why is it that when, when a kid asks that, no one really ever says, um, hey, how, how best can I glorify God? Have you ever heard somebody say, go into business? We think, well, that's not a very good idea. That wouldn't be real glorifying to God. Business can be corrupt. and No, 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 no. Business in and of itself is a good and God-honoring thing. Now, does it get corrupted and tainted by sin at times and, for, and uh, give potential for somebody to sin? Absolutely. But don't let the distortion of what's good uh, cause you to judge all of it as being ungood. Maybe the best thing you could do to honor God is go into business. You know, when, when a student asks, how can I serve God with my life? You don't, you don't hear an answer like that very often. You don't hear an answer like, uh, go work in a factory. That's a good God-honoring thing. You, you don't always hear when a student says, well, what should I do? I really want to honor God. And, and you say, well, well, go study art. That's a good God-honoring thing. Yeah, but why don't we say those things? Because we've bought into this lie that somehow... Only ministry, vocational ministry, counts as a God-honoring vocation, and the truth is, it's simply not true. Now, here's the reason why I think that comes about, is that oftentimes we think that those are the only ways to glorify God, um, Actually, let's, let's back up from there a little bit. Let's think a little bit about what are some of the ways you can glorify God. If somebody came to you and asked, just forget about vocation for a second. What are ways in which you glorify God? What are some things that might come to mind? It might be um, uh, one of the things that, that might come up. You might say, well, uh, worshiping is probably the first thing it implies, that I, that I worship God. And, and maybe that to you invokes singing songs of praise to him. That's glorifying to God. Would you agree? It's a way to glorify him. Uh, then, it, then you might suggest, well, evangelism. That would be really glorifying to God. If, if I, if I uh, went and loved people and invited them to follow Jesus with me, that would be a really God-honoring, glorifying thing. Would you agree? It absolutely is. How about uh, worship, evangelism? How about giving? Uh, glorifying God by contributing uh, my time, talent, and treasure, my, my money and my time and my gifts, uh, to, to see ministry happen in the church or in missions. Would that be a God-honoring, glorifying thing? Absolutely. These are all, these are all right on the mark. Uh, one, someone else might suggest moral living, you know, acting in a way that honors God. And finally, somebody might just say faith, uh, living a life that's depending on God in prayer and in my daily attitudes of the heart. And, and, and each of those are glorifying to God, aren't they? Worship and 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 giving, and evangelism, and having faith, and living morally—all those are glorifying to God. But you know what? Which one we often leave out and forget? Wayne Grudem makes this argument. He says the one thing that we often leave out and forget when it comes to glorifying God is imitation. That you can glorify God through imitation by imitating one of His attributes. And he writes that God created us so that we would imitate him and so that he could look at at us and see something of his wonderful attributes reflected in us. In fact, the first chapter of the Bible tells us this. Let's read uh, from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the seas and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. To be in God's image means to be like him, to represent him, to, to imitate him. And uh, this verse takes place before Adam and Eve sin. And notice one of the ways that, that as soon as God talks about us being made in his likeness, what does he say we should do? Be fruitful and multiply. A lot of times we think of fruitful only being in terms of um, our families and having more children, but I think fruitful here means more than, than just procreation. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He says, go. Have have make make a family, have babies, fill the earth, and subdue it, work it, rule over it, draw out of it raw materials that would make good things uh, for the good and love and life of the world. For my glory, for your joy, for others' good. I wonder what would happen if you'd grabbed Adam and Eve at this point before the fall and you brought them forward to today. First thing we'd do, we'd probably put some clothes on them. But then the next thing, uh, we handed them, uh, maybe we walk them into the kitchen and we turn on the faucet. What would they do? They would go, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. Uh, You're you're telling me, they pull the switch up and, you know, the lever up and down. and uh, You're telling me that that all the materials needed to make uh, the pipes that, that carry this water to your house, and that come out into this, what do you call this? A sink? That, that all of those materials are found in the earth? What a great God that we have. And he's called us to subdue it. And let alone, then, then you go on for a while and you hand them uh, your phone or your iPad. And they start looking at how all that functions and works. And that all of that is, all of those raw materials to make that. And every, all the knowledge needed for that God's given to us. And all the materials are found here in the earth. And God's call to us is to rule over it and subdue it and mine it and turn it into good things. Productivity of goods is a really good God-honoring thing in and of itself. Why? Because it's what God commissioned us to do in his image. And it's imitating him. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but first I want to just point out that work is part of God's original design for us. You notice this is before sin, this is before the fall. Let's take Adam and Eve back to the garden. God gave them work to do in the garden. Now the garden, again, uh, I think I've said this many times, but it wouldn't have been like the garden in your backyard, you know, full of tomatoes and carrots, and I'm sure those things grew there, but... But think of it more in terms of like a national park like Yellowstone. When you read of the boundaries of Eden in Genesis, you realize this is a large mass of land. And Adam and Eve are to subdue it and rule over it and reign over it. They're to reflect and image God in this garden and represent him there and rule over it as he would. They're the only things in all of creation that God made with the ability to do this. Nothing else can do this in the way that humanity can. Because only humanity bears God's image. But notice it's before the fall. And it's confirmed again in Genesis 2.15 when uh, we get a repeat of some of the uh, creative work of God when he's creating Adam and Eve, uh, especially Eve in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That, that was his plan for Adam and Eve, to work it, to care for it, to subdue it. You, you realize that, that God's plan uh, from the time of the garden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 to, to the end of his story in Revelation chapter 22 is that Adam and Eve and all of humanity would subdue creation, rule over it, reign over it, work hard, and develop that garden into a beautiful city. And that's exactly then what God does later in Revelation. When we mess it up through Jesus, he ends up building the city that he originally intended them to make. That's God's plan. And his plan for work is to take that and develop it and be creators just like he's a creator. Work isn't something we do because sin entered the world. Don't, don't think that when, you, uh, in fact, when you get to heaven that you're just gonna float around on a cloud and do nothing. There's gonna be work to do in heaven. Do you know that? it's part of God's original design. And God's original design for us, it's in our DNA. It's it's part of all that he he looks at and called good. And then on the seventh day, God rested and we image him too. And we stop and rest and enjoy and find satisfaction in what we've created and accomplished. You ever had a hard day's work or you've done some work around the house or Whatever that is, whatever you've created or done or accomplished, and you get to the end of it and you just kind of step back and you go, I feel pretty good about that. You've had that experience at some point in your life, haven't you? You know what? You are imaging God when you do that. And that was his design before the fall. That was his original design for you. And so the second point, I've said it already multiple times, but work then is a way that we image and imitate God. Your work, your vocation, whatever it is, is a way that you image and imitate God. In fact, it might be one of the primary ways that you do it. When you consider all the hours of your life that go into your vocation. When you consider all of the time, cumulatively speaking, that goes into your job and into your work, your work may even be, I don't think it's a stretch to say, it might be the primary way in which you image God in your life. Have you ever thought about that? It's how you imitate him. Well, let's think about about God and his work back in Genesis uh, chapter 1. Yeah, it says in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, the the psalmist tells us that he spoke everything into existence. God spoke; it happened, and then he called it good. He took what was formless and void and uh, put definition to it. He he created. You know, when you do your work, a lot of times you're taking maybe something that's formless and void or even chaos, and you're creating something. Guess who you're being like? Your Heavenly Father. You're imitating him when you do that. When you uh, when you clean up the house, uh, when we pick up after Charlie at home, he tears everything apart and everything becomes chaos, and we pick it all back up and put it in order uh, until this week, I don't know if I'd ever stop to think about it, but I'm imaging God when I do that. I'm imitating Him by taking all of these things that seem disconnected and putting them in an orderly way. That's imaging God. I, I, I wonder uh, do you notice the Bible opens to God at work? That's how the Bible starts. It doesn't start with God sitting around and people worshiping him and singing to him. It starts with him working. (laughs) It's the first thing he's doing. He's working. In the beginning, God created. And we're created in his image. And in the same way, immediately, we saw it a little bit ago, we're commanded to work, to, to rule over the earth and subdue it. Now, maybe I'll take this as an opportunity to pull out and... Uh, kind of address the point I brought up earlier of what do you do then if somebody or, or maybe you uh, you find yourself to be disabled or uh, mentally or physically or whatever else and to to work a vocational job like this just isn 't in the cards anymore um, what do you what do you do with that? How does that person then in, in their work image and imitate God well remember if 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 what i 'm saying is true that that working is imitating God, then there's still other ways. You're not of no value. You haven't, you haven't lost value in the sight of God. There's still opportunities for you to image and imitate him and his attributes in other ways, isn't there? And and maybe that's through prayer. Maybe that's through other just creative work and service at home for your family or spouse or a loved one, there's still things you can do even if you're not able to work full time in the, the sense that we think of a vocation where, where you still imitate and image God. So this isn't lost on you, but you may need to think and, and how does this apply then to my situation if that's you? Does that make sense? So let's stop and pause then and think for each of us about our own vocations and situations. I wonder, um, how, how do you image God in your vocation? Let's think about some of these. I've got a list of just a few occupations, and wondering what's their value then to God in imitating Him. How about a how about a contractor? How about a contractor? What's a contractor do? They uh, they show up. You know, maybe you're adding an addition onto your house. You hire a contractor to do to to oversee all the work. And what they do is they, they come in and you, they find out the scope of the work and the sequence of it. And then they hire it out to different people with different trades to come in and do it. Or maybe, depending on the contractor, they actually do some of that work themselves. And what are they doing? Well, they're doing a handful of things. They're, they're creating things that weren't there previously. Or or maybe they're making what was there more beautiful. Do you ever realize like how much of God's... Uh, creative work was simply for the sake of beauty no other reason but for beauty and that's a good thing and that's worth spending time and resources on and uh but they they a contractor would would coordinate somebody maybe uh to do drywall and uh to paint and to do all of these creative things and uh, as individuals, those subs are all imaging God in that work, and the, the contractor is imaging him by getting it, getting it going and having a plan and thinking through it and having a design and ordering it and orchestrating it. That's all imitating God. Uh, how about uh, an artist? How does an artist imitate God? Maybe, maybe your job is, is in some creative realm. Uh, maybe in uh, video design or graphic design or whatever else. And how, how, does, how does a creative person and artist imitate God? Well, think of it. God is the most creative being bar none. No one, has, no one else is more creative than him. He created everything we see out of nothing, and, and everything that we see is, is ultimately his and ultimately an act of his creation, because even, even the beauty that we see in, in art or in design or in anything else, ultimately God created us to be like him and to create something, so he gets the credit for it. We're, we're imaging him by creating and bringing beauty to things. How about, um, how about an accountant? How does an accountant image God? Well, guess who invented Numbers? God did and uh, who who counted uh, and knows the number of everything and everything that 's happening God does, and an accountant in caring for things and, and keeping things in order is imaging a God who and imitating a God who has full control and full order and full knowledge of everything that 's happening in his creation. Um, we could go on and on in, in a lot of these. Uh, But think about your own vocation. How do you image and imitate God at work? Now, the purpose of all this, I believe, uh, you know, God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over uh, all those things. I think work is assigned to us for, number one, for Jesus' glory, because we're imitating him. Two, for others' good, because Uh, Your work brings good to other people. And then finally, for our joy. Um, Most likely, Adam and Eve had days, if not months, to work in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And God wanted them to work. And it it clarifies that our our work has distinct value from uh, how we can use it in discipleship and evangelism, to, to, to have your work matter doesn't mean that you have to be Christian in your work, and you have to uh, um, always—you know what I mean? You, you, I'm trying to think how I can best say this. I should have maybe written this out a little better instead of going from the cuff. But um, I think sometimes we think that for my work to matter, to glorify God, because if if it's true, our work its primary purpose is first to glorify God. That that somehow there has to be some dose of Something churchy into my work, you know like i've i 've got a witness to five people today in the office, and then i 'll glorify God or uh i don 't think so I think if you now that would be glorifying to him that'd be good, but I think simply by doing a good job you 're honoring the Lord, simply by doing a good job at your work you 're bringing him glory because i mean Paul tells us in in Colossians right. He says, "Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men." I wonder how much different you might work, or we might all work, if if we knew Jesus was the guy in the corner office, and He was the guy walking the floor and checking in on us. If we knew we were doing it for Him, because the truth is, you are. It's to glorify Jesus. It's for Jesus' glory, and it's for others' good. It's for others' good. Have you ever thought, thought out the good that your work brings to other people? Think of think of your vocation, think of what good that offers to other people all down the line. Maybe you're. Let's just take the example like of a baker. A baker buys uh, buys flour and other supplies, and so simply by buying the supplies to bake his bread. Um, he's actually already done good for other people, right? Who produced the flour, who uh, built the ovens, who uh, even worked to produce uh, the gas or electricity that power his ovens. He's doing good for them in his work by glorifying God by being a good baker. And then when he when he puts all those things in order and creates bread and then he sells it, he's doing good to everyone who buys it because it, it tastes good and it's, it's good for their nourishment and for their growth and... There's a whole sprawling network of good for other people that your work creates. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a janitor. I just clean the floor. You know what? That, that matters to God. It's not just a janitor. God is a God who loves order and loves things that are clean. God just, he likes clean floors. So it's good that you made a clean floor. And you're bringing good to other people because now the floor is clean and they're not going to slip and fall and hurt themselves. Do you get it? It's for Jesus' glory and for others' good, and then it's for your joy. There's a sense of satisfaction in doing good work. And in that, again, you're imitating God because at the end of his creating all things, he steps back, he looks at it, and what does he say? It's good, it brought him joy. So your work is for Jesus' glory, others' good, and your joy. But here's the deal. Work has been cursed because of sin, right? Uh, Genesis 3, 17 through 19 tells us that there's pain now in our work and toil in it. So it's not always fully satisfying. (laughs) It used to be in the garden, and it will be in heaven. But in this time, it's not always fully satisfying. Sometimes it's frustrating and hard to do work. But there's still good purpose in it. God still gave them work to do even after the fall. Uh, thankfully, Jesus uh, did it all perfectly. And he redeems us and saves us so that we would be free from those that toil of work in the future. Here's maybe three applications to help you with this. 'Cause we talked about it, you know, just kind of conceptually and you know, okay, I can agree with that, that uh, God created work before the fall and so he has work for us to do. I can I can agree to the fact that um that, that my work in my working, whatever that is, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or a, a professional business person or whatever that is, it, it imitates God. I get that. I get it that it's for, for God's glory, others' good and my joy, but but what do I do? How do I live this out? Um, so I'll give you three applications. You already have them written down there. The first one is to, to work and honor Jesus in your work. Whatever it is that you do, uh, as as Paul tells the Colossians, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, that means uh, do your best at whatever it is you do, right? Don't just do enough to get by. Or don't just uh, do enough so that nobody really notices, but do your best. I mean, how many of you would ever tell your kids, in whatever they're doing? I hope you wouldn't. I don't. I don't know any parents that that would or have their kids. Don't do too good of a job with this, because somebody might think you're you're bragging when you do it, or they might think that fill in the blank. Right? Don't 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 do too good. Just just do okay. No. I don't know about you, but that was always encouraged. Man, do your best. How has God gifted you? For me, those gifts are in, uh, in design and in music and teaching, things like that. Like, um, I need, I, if I don't do my best, guess what? One, it's not satisfying. And two, it's dishonoring to God. And so then I fail on all three of those things of giving Jesus glory, others good, and me joy because Jesus gets less glory because I didn't do as good of a job as I could have. Others get less good because it's subpar work and I get less joy because it's simply not satisfying to only kind of do it half-heartedly. Would you agree? So whatever it is, find what you need to do and work hard at it and honor Jesus in it. Here's a second thing you might consider. Guard yourself against idolatry and idleness. Those are two different sides of the spectrum, aren't they? On the one side, your work can turn into idolatry if you're not careful. And all of your identity gets wrapped up in what you do. And so your description, when somebody asks, who are you, what do you do, uh, you, your, your identity is so wrapped up. Like for me, my identity could be so wrapped up in being a pastor that if someday I would ever, uh, God would open a door for a different vocation or something else and I would pursue that. If I'm not careful, if my identity is so wrapped up in being a pastor, if somehow that's taken away from me, then, then I crash and burn. Because really what's happened is that vocation has become an idol. You see this a lot of time with uh, a good example of this, and I've seen it in some in my family's life. So my brother is like, uh, athletics becomes an idol. Right? They're pretty good athletes, but when you compare that to a Division One athlete, it's really not that great of an athlete. And so everything crashes down when you realize you're probably not that good. You were good in a small town, but you're not that good anymore, and it all crashes down, right? Don't let your vocation become an idol. Mom, if you're a stay-at-home mom, it's a good thing, it's a great thing, but don't get your identity wrapped up in that because guess what? If those kids become an idol, they're gonna move out someday and then you'll be crushed. Now the other side is not idolatry, but idleness, a different type of idol. I just go, eh, I can get by. I'm not really gonna work too hard. I'm just gonna slack my way through. I just, nine to five, and then I can go do what I want. You know, I'm just just doing this to get through. Don't don't be idle and lazy. That's dishonoring to the Lord as well. And either one can be a trap. We've got work to God, but it's from God, so don't idolize it. It's not God. But don't be idle either because, again, you've got work to do from God. A good book uh, I'll share with you later. I had a stack of books I was going to bring to offer if anybody would want them. Um, but it's called The Gospel at Work, and it's really helpful. And then uh, we'll talk about this here as we close. Discover Christ's vision uh, for your vocation. And you might do this by asking yourself just three questions about your vocation and how do you uh, give Jesus glory, others good, and and you get joy out of it. Think about your vocation, whatever it is right now. How can I reflect in my work that I'm made in the image of God? How can you reflect? Where, where, In other words, where are you creating and innovating in your job? That's reflecting him and image, imaging him. Where are you bringing what was once formless and void into order? That's imaging him. Uh, where are you exercising dominion and subduing the effects of the fall? Bringing justice and righteousness into play. That's imaging him. Where are you creating Beauty. As I said, much of what God created was simply for the sake of beauty. He just looked at it and called it good. Uh, two, two guys that um, you might look at in terms of their work in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab. They're two guys who created the tabernacle. And, and talking about this whole issue of Beauty. Uh, the amount of wealth that was spent on this tent that wandered around the desert is incredible. But these two guys had incredible skill in design and craftsmanship, and God entrusted them with designing and building this tabernacle and all the intricacies of it. And they did that, and, and for a lot of it, the only purpose of it was for beauty. So where are you bringing beauty into being? Uh, The second question you can ask yourself is, what's the role of my workplace and my faith? Why do you think in God's sovereignty he placed you in that job? He knew from the beginning of of time that you would have that job. If you're a business owner, uh, think about the ways that that brings good to other people in providing employment for them and good service for people. How can you bring him glory with not just how you do your work, but also what you do? How can you serve your neighbor not just with how you do your work, but with what you do at work? How is Jesus growing and sanctifying you by putting you in this job? Why do you think God in his sovereignty put you there? Ask yourself, too, then, how can I love my neighbor at and through my work? How do I bring good to other people through my work? How are you maybe creating jobs depending on your work? How are you helping your coworkers? How, how is the product you're producing and servicing, how is that affecting the lives of people down the supply chain? Maybe if you're in the medical business, right, and somehow you're, you're crafting something that is going to improve the life of down the line, potentially thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people. That's a really good thing, and it's honoring to God in and of itself. Discover those things, keep them in the front of your mind and then live in a way, work in a way that, that honors the Lord Jesus and it brings good to others and it will bring joy to you. And then I said this already, but I think it's important just to remember that as we close, there's going to be work to do in heaven. That, that all of this life, loved ones, is really a tune-up for eternity. It's getting you ready for eternity. And uh, the the work uh, that you do now and the way that you work and the way that you honor God uh, is actually going to reap reward and uh, levels of responsibility for you in heaven. Don't, don't think that uh, I'm gonna get there and then I'm just gonna kick back and relax. No, there's gonna be things for you to do. God has work for you and that's a good thing. Um, This week in your 110 group, you're going to watch the video called uh, Creative Service. And it's about a 20-minute video. Again, you can watch it online if you're not part of a 110 group or if your group missed. Um, Go to wawaseebible.com backslash flow, and the password is wawasee. It's in your bulletin, insert. And uh, it's going to give you, again, another perspective on how the good of your work influences so many other people and brings glory to God. Don't be discouraged in your work, but do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Now, one final application piece. In your bulletin, Pastor Kirk mentioned it. Um, uh, Two weeks from this coming Friday, we're hosting uh, an all-day retreat uh, video conference seminar here at the church called Work is Worship. Uh, We've got uh, some of these posters if you'd like one. I've talked to some of you. You've talked about bringing a handful of people from your work here uh, to be part of that. It's a great thing. The cost is $25, and you have to, you have to register online. Um, if you can't, call the church office. We'll figure something out to help you with that. Um, but the cost is $25 and includes lunch that day. And uh, just uh, before I close here, I want to show you a video promo for this event. And that's uh, just one way you might apply this and learn more about this truth of that your work matters to God.
1: work most of us spend over half our lives at work whatever it is you fill the 9 to 5 with planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients teaching students or running a business work is where most of life happens for some, work is a drain they dread Monday mornings forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, or around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular we've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and towards the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. On February 23, 2018, over 2,000 churches across the country are hosting the first-ever Work as Worship retreat. Please join us and other business leaders from your church and community. Speakers will include Patrick Lencioni, Matt Chandler, Joel Manby, Phil Fisher, and many more. Tickets are only $25 at www.workasworshipretreat.org. We'll see you there.
0: So I hope you consider joining us. And uh, if you can't, I understand that's fine. But um, if you do, I think it'll be worth, worth your time that day. Let me pray and then we'll take our offering. We'll sing and call it a morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, that you've given us work, that you've given us things to do and accomplish with our lives. Thank you for the satisfaction it brings. Thank you for the talents and gifts and abilities you've given us to to serve you, to bring glory to you and good to others, and that uh, we find satisfaction and joy in ourselves. Uh, Father, I pray for each one here, and uh, even for those who aren't here this morning. Help us to see your purpose in our work, in our vocation, in what we do day to day. That that in all of it, Jesus, we're called to imitate and to image you. Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.